Father, we uh, praise you again for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for revealing your Son to us and opening our eyes by your Spirit to see Christ. Father, I pray now that you would so move our hearts together, unite our hearts together, um, just as Jesus loved us um, when we were far from you. I pray now that uh, you would stir our hearts to, to go out and love our neighbor. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, so let me ask you, um, I hope this is kind of just a general sketch and uh, discussion um, for you guys. But let me ask you, when you hear the title, which I think I put the gospel and justice, union with Christ and loving the neighbor, did I remember it? What do you guys hear when you hear that? Did they get one? Oh. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, when you hear that title, what, what do you, there are plenty of copies, so that's good. Um, when you hear that title, what, what do you think of? What, like, what, explain to me what comes to mind. Does that make you a little nervous, like we're going into social justice, or does it make you, I don't know, is that something that excites you? Yes, ma'am. Right. A way to help with the law. Yeah, I mean, even we still have to obey the law, but Jesus came to wash away our sins, so that you know those <clears throat> crimes and sins don't keep piling up on each other and right. get exponentially out of control. Right. Right. Okay. Yes, ma'am. grateful for the salvation that's been given to me, the free gift. However, I struggle in showing that same sense of grace to, you know, certain people around me. And it may yeah. it may be somebody that I feel like really wronged me, or it may just be like on a daily basis with my husband. Right. You know? So reconciling right. that. Totally. And we do sometimes like have a sense of just like we're justified in being ugly or justified in right. not being gracious. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never dealt with that personally. Just joking. Just, no, thank you. That's exactly. That's good. Um, well, so last week, Cameron Cole, our youth minister, talked about union with Christ, um, just how it relates to us as individual believers. But what I wanted us to do was to kind of lay out an overall sketch um, of kind of the gospel and union with Christ, and then sort of at the end say, the but of course part, right? Um, and as I was preparing for this, I really realized we're going to need to kind of do several more classes on justice and the way it uh, comes up in Scripture. Um, so this is not going to be that thorough, but I do want us to just kind of have a, you know, a peek into union with Christ, us as believers being so married to Christ leads us to love the neighbor, right? That's, that's kind of where we're going. So, um, so the question is, how does justice fit into the gospel of grace? Um, how does the gospel of grace lead us as Christians to be concerned about justice in society? So I have a couple quotes here. I have a lot of quotes, but I'm going to quote two. So a Methodist bishop named Will Williman, he said this, Mainline Protestantism, that's what we're in, Mainline Protestantism is in trouble 
because we provided people with the theological rationale not to go to church. So there, uh, you may know that most mainline Protestant, Episcopal, Methodist, etc., etc., churches stress social justice, right? But actually, what they've done typically is, you know, removed all of the Christian references, uh, the gospel, you might say, um, such that we basically become just kind of another social, um, you know, a Greenpeace movement, right? Uh, a Greenpeace meeting. Um, now, Todd Billings, another guy, said this, If the gospel message is that we should try hard to be just and kind because that is what God wants us to do, then there is no obvious need for gathering as a community, worshiping Jesus Christ, or seeking empowerment from God's Spirit. If the gospel is nothing more than an exhortation for justice, then one's time is better spent at a Greenpeace meeting or a political lobby meeting than in corporate worship on Sunday. But actually what Christians have understood is that the Spirit gathers us together to be addressed by God's Word each Sunday, right? God comes to address us as Christians and to shape us by His Spirit into the image of Christ. Um, and, and we're being shaped and so molded into the image of Christ just as Christ descended into the neighbor to rescue us when we were far off, so now we ought to descend into the neighbor. This is sort of Paul's understanding of Philippians. And so when, when mainline Protestants remove the, the, the kernel, you might say, of the gospel of grace and make it all about social justice, well, I mean, it's nothing more than just one more human possibility, right? Here we are um, uh, at the center. We are our own savior, right? Um, so I think all of you have, trying to begin to kind of sketch what's out there in the world, what we typically hear, and comparing that with uh, God himself, the triune God revealing himself to us. So I think you all got a moralistic therapeutic deism handout. And this exists in more liberal ways, conservative ways. Um, I think it's out there in the mainline Protestant world. It's out there in the Catholic world. It's out there in the evangelical world. Um, this is sort of American religion. So, um, all right, so number one, uh, well, there are five, so basically if you look at your handout, there are five kind of points of belief that Christian Smith, a sociologist uh, in 2005, I believe, he, he interviewed a thousand teenagers, I think, a thousand American teenagers, and, um, and sort of packaged together what he found they believe. And I just want you to know, like, this is on-the-ground stuff, right? I was having coffee at Starbucks in Mountain Brook with a really nice guy who just graduated from high school, um, who is now an atheist, grew up in a nearby church, and when I showed him this, he thought this was Christianity. So um, this is out there, and if you think, like, who would ever believe that is Christianity? Well, um, uh, it, it is there. So let's kind of look through these together just really quickly. Um, number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. So we have a God who exists, he created, he ordered the world. Number two, 
God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. And I think that's kind of the point of belief that would maybe most intersect with what we're talking about today. So God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Have How many of you have seen this before? Is this new to some people? You have seen it? Okay. Okay. Um, well, let me ask. Uh, it begs the question, which... Tell me about this God that it's speaking of. So it mentions God, what, four times? Which God is being talked about? It assumes there's a God, but which one? Yeah. One who has authority. Because he created created the world and he's over it. Okay. Right. So that's the deist. So distant deist. So that's the deist he's removed. He created and now he stepped back. Um, authority. Okay. Relatively impersonal. Impersonal. He's going to fix everything. Everyone will go to heaven. And like what that translates into for us is that he, so he's kind of a lawgiver, right? Yeah. This God is mainly someone who stands at a distance and kind of issues laws for us to keep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So what is the problem? In this schema, what is what would sin be? So that's kind of the therapeutic part. We we're not you know, at happy and at peace with ourselves, what y'all are talking about. What else, maybe? Right. And so salvation in this sense, what is salvation? It's works. What does it kind of look like? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and what is the Bible? The Bible is laws, right? Um, go ahead. Right, and the stories there ultimately become, this is kind of where you begin to hear sermons, David and Goliath now becomes, how do you kill the Goliaths in your own life, kind of? Right, so we remain at the center, right? No displacement of the self, no decentering of the self. It's all about our own kind of salvation. Um Yes. We just need a little... Right. And Jesus now comes to give us that Red Bull just to kind of push us across the finish line. Um, yeah. Uh, so, 
I want you to notice, I, what, what do I want to say about this God? I want to go back to that. This God is impersonal, as y'all said. He's, I want you to see that basically he's, um, he's not really the God of the Bible. He's not the God of, that Augustine spoke of, or Calvin, or Luther, or the Cappadocian Fathers, or the Nicene Creed, or the Apostles' Creed. Right, um, so he's not the God of Christianity, um, and so when I speak with an atheist high school student, I'm really quick to agree with him and say we've made this God up, um, and I think that should be the Christian response, quite frankly, in our day. Um, this God is nothing but a projection of ourselves. He is just a big um, granddaddy in the sky or some you know, larger than life, me. Um, so, yes, sir. I think of this God as like a God that we have wrapped up in a little, in, in our own little box that we use as an amulet against the world when they're coming against something that we believe is the way things should be, the natural order of things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And if we as Christians really take sin seriously, we do make God in our own image, right? Um, and this God looks a lot like us. And he doesn't, he's not the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who enters into history to create, to judge, and redeem. Um, it's not the God who is love. Uh, and who relates. It's the distant God who issues laws. And so I want you to notice here that not only is he, um, is he distant from us, so like we're down here, world, right? So there's a, a gap. Um, also, this God is just one, just strictly one, strictly one. Uh, so it's basically Unitarian, right? Um, it's Unitarian, uh, denies the Trinity in function. Um, so, all right, so let's kind of move forward. So I put a couple of quotes up here. I just wanted to, I'm going to skip this. You probably already read it, but I won't address it. So I want to play a video because I think it's really good at, displaying union with Christ. And if it's not helpful for you, or if you think it looks a little kiddish, I do understand. But um, this guy I really respect because he's taken these theological concepts and preaches the gospel in a really accessible way. Oh no, I forgot to turn on the speakers. Does anyone know where the speakers are? Oh no. Okay. Huh? Well, we may not be watching the video. Can y'all all see um Do what? Put the microphone in No, no, no. The Trinity is Oh, there it is. I just 
I used to work at Apple, but now I'm a little embarrassed of myself. Okay. Three, two, one. The story of God, the world. It's a little loud. Three. God is three persons united in love. In the beginning, there were three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, one God who is an unbreakable unity of three. A triune, or trinity. The trinity is not a maths problem or an ancient riddle. It's the good news that God is love. Forever, the Father had loved his Son in the unity of the Spirit. How do we picture this? Well, the Son of God is the image of God. He gives us our window onto God's life. So, for instance, picture his baptism. There we see the Holy Spirit descending on him while the Father declares, You are my Son who I love. With you I am well pleased. That's a snapshot of God's eternal life. The Father has always been loving his Son with the joy of the Holy Spirit. But this love was too good to keep to themselves. The God of love wants to share. And so the Father made a world through his Son and by his Spirit because he wants billions more children to join the family. You and I were made to hear his verdict. You are my child who I love. With you, I am well pleased. The meaning of life is to find our place in the three. Two. The world is shaped by two representatives. God placed one representative, Adam, at the head of the human race to bless it and care for it. But through mistrust, Adam turned from God, turned in on himself, and plunged the world into death and curse. It was a cosmic fall from grace. Now we all share in this broken humanity, and we feel the curse of this broken world. The human race is like a Christmas tree that's been cut down and wrenched from its natural habitat. We might dress ourselves up in fancy decorations, we might perform all sorts of good deeds, but we're perishing. We have no spiritual life in us, and we're headed for the rubbish dump. The race of Adam stands under God's condemnation. God has pronounced an eternal no to that way of life, because he wants something very different for us. He wants us all to find true life in a second Adam. Jesus Christ. At Christmas, Jesus came as a man. He entered into our broken world and took up our lost cause. Like a champion who wins the contest for us, Jesus stepped into our shoes and lived the perfect life we could never live. Then on the cross, he died the cursed death that we should die. He summed up Adam's nature and curse and took it down to the hellish death it deserved. But three days later, he rose again to a new life beyond death and curse. And he invites us into his life and into his family. One, you are one with Adam. We be one with Jesus. The human condition is Adam's condition. As chips off the old block, we share in his selfishness, his death, his disconnection from God. One with Adam, we have no life in ourselves and no hope for the future. But Jesus comes to offer a stunning oneness with himself. Like with the Christmas tree, we can be snipped out of the Adam tree and grafted into the Christ tree. Or think of another picture of oneness. We can be one with Jesus, like in a marriage. Imagine a marriage between a prince and a pauper. She's filthy and poor with a shameful name and a hopeless future. Yet the prince loves her and offers himself to her in marriage. As soon as they're united, what happens? He takes all her debts. 
he gets all his riches. He covers over her shameful name, gives her his name. She's invited into his life, his family, his inheritance. Through her prince, she can call the king daddy. And all because of their marriage union. It's just like that with Jesus. If we receive him, all that is ours, our sin and curse, becomes his. He pays it all off on the cross. And all that is his, his righteousness and inheritance, becomes ours. If we're one with Jesus, right now we're adopted into the family. We have his spirit as our spirit. We have his father as our father. We belong to his brothers and sisters in the church. We call on the same father and hear his love spoken to us. You are my child who I love. With you, I am well pleased. These are our privileges now. And when Christ returns, we will also share in his physical, immortal life. He will raise us bodily and set the world to rights. On that day, God will judge the world, forever confirming his no to Adam and his yes to Christ. You are one with Adam, but there's no future in that life. And with arms outstretched, Jesus makes a proposal. He offers you himself, his very life, his family, his future. He's yours if you're happy. Be one with Jesus. The three invite you in. The two determine the world. Will you be one with the Son of God? All right, so let's just really quickly, just in a couple minutes, compare that God, the moralistic therapeutic deist God, to the triune God that Glenn Scrivener presents to us. Um, I don't know, any thoughts on that video? Was, did that help? Uh, did it make it kind of accessible, this message? Yeah. All right, so, I don't, yeah, any, any general thoughts anyone wants to say? Um, well, I, so I played that video because he stresses, uh, that God up front is the triune God, right? Um, so, uh, so instead of this, it's now that, um, we have, well, I'll just do it up here, right? Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, the God who is an unbreakable unity of three. And now we, uh, we as the church, are so united to the Son. We are so united to the Son and by His Spirit that we call, the one whom Jesus called Father, we now call Father. Why do we pray in the liturgy? Why do we follow the Lord's Prayer and say, Our Father who art in heaven? Because the one whom Jesus called Father he is now our Father in Jesus. It's not because He is like a dad. It is because He is the one whom Jesus called Father, and we are so united to the Son that we call upon Him as Father. And what is the Gospel? The Father says to you, You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Right? So this union with Christ imagery, this marriage with Christ, this union with the Son, brings us into relation with the Trinity. So united to Christ, we have all that is His, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's does that maybe y'all have heard this around here before? But me growing up, I didn't quite.
hear that as the gospel presentation. Uh, is anyone else there with me? Is this translating? Maybe I... Okay. Not speaking Chinese. Okay. Um, uh, so I guess since we only have, you know, 13 minutes, um, maybe now let me just ask the question, um, if this is the case, and I'm skipping over, I wish I could, had time to go to Bible passages and kind of tease this out. Um, but if this is the case, that we're so united to Christ as Christians, we the community that gathers around the gospel, we're so united to Christ and brought into the life of the triune God, what does it mean for us as a community to love the neighbor? What does that look like? Does this have any? Does this have any bearing on... How, how do we think about that? Maybe part of it is, you know, knowing what it means for me that I'm in Christ. Right. That my neighbor is also in Christ, and so to see Christ in him, you know, like, I keep thinking about that, you know, when you love the least of these, you've loved me, uh -huh. whatever, that, you know, looking at somebody and seeing Jesus truly within them and them covered in, you know, your Savior. And so right. it totally changes the way you look at your neighbor. Right. As, as opposed to like a little bit judgmental or a little bit, if, if you only did this, then this would probably happen better for you, whatever it is. Does that make sense? Yes. And it changes how we interact. Right. And how we treat. Exactly. Yeah, it reshapes your whole outlook. Yes, ma'am, were you going to say But you see, we do things now like this. We have, we feed the poor. We do those kind of things. We do all kinds of things in the community to help people. Right. Now suppose we just taught Christ crucified and we didn't do good works. See, would people take us seriously? They wouldn't, would they? I mean, the community would say, well, you know, they're not going to do anything to help you. They're Christians. See, we have that kind of reputation. And that's just, God wants us to do good works. That's basic to Christianity. And right. I think if you throw that out, it's just, you know, what do you have left except just the basic gospel story? But that's what we should be doing is do good do works good works. In the community. Yeah, that's Basic. Well, Paul says we're saved unto good works, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which God prepared beforehand. That's right. And that God, that's right, God called us for that, exactly. Mm -hmm. And he, there's something about, um, something about uh, peculiar people for good works. Right. And so I, I don't see what could possibly be wrong with that, you know. When you say that, you know, that drug Social, social programs are not the gospel. That's not true, I don't think. I mean, the, the ones that we do, Christian church. Because right, well, we win a lot of people, too. See, we win people mm -hmm. to Christ by good works. See, they see us doing good works. Right. I, do you want, I tell you what, she had, did you want to say something? You, I'm, I'm not calling you out if you don't want to. No, I think. <clears throat> the difference in what you put on your 
Um, it's the difference between being justified, justified versus trying to self-justify yourself through your work. We, we don't have the burden anymore of having to justify ourselves by doing good work. <coughs> we have the freedom to do good work, and they may go good or they may not go good, but we're still justified and right with God. Yeah. Well, so that's, thank you. I, I guess my general concern is um, our works, uh, and this to me is what's so powerful about the Reformation, is that um, the Reformation criticism against the church was your works actually can be the most radically evil, right? Um, the best, highest, and most religious works may actually be where God is not present, um, right? So... I think if we follow um, Glenn Scrivener's way of presenting the gospel, it so frees us now to love the neighbor. It's no longer a preoccupation with myself. Um, it's no longer mere human possibility, but it's now in freedom, just as God in Christ um, uh, had all things, all things are under his care, his control, he created all things. So now united to Christ, we can now now in freedom love the neighbor, right? It's no longer being preoccupied with myself and trying to shore up some human measure. Because if we, if we think of this God up here and us down here, it's more human, human possibilities and potentials. But the gospel is actually God's possibility. Um, when we were created... Well, let me read this by um, a theologian named Robert Jensen. <clears throat> he says, We are created to be righteous, that is, to form one community with each other and with the persons of the triune God. So we're created to be righteous. What does that mean? To be one community with each other and to be one with the triune God. In which each of us takes her or his unique place and uses that place as an opportunity to love the rest of us. So what does it mean? We're, we were created to be so united with God and so united with one another that we were to love one another. But, he says, any sin humanity can think of is simply one or another way of refusing to do this. Right? So my concern, I guess, with, with more kind of liberal... Uh, trends would be um, it really is cutting out the message that we receive all good things from God, right? The Christian church does in many ways look like a liberal uh, social program in, when we are doing things, but we are that community that gathers first and fundamentally around the gospel, that we have received all good things from him, and now in freedom we step out and love the neighbor. Um, can I just quote, we have six minutes. So I want to just quote Philippians 2, and I'm quoting this. I think if, if I have any readers in here, buy Luther's Freedom of a Christian. It's so good. Luther's The Freedom of a Christian. And he comments on Philippians uh, 2. So that's what I want to read. And then I'm going to quote from the Old Testament um, this passage on justice. Um, we got so much more we could talk about. So Philippians 2, he says, verse 5, Philippians 2, 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Right, so so Luther is so profound here as he's reading this passage because he says, you as the Christian are the most free Lord of all and you owe no one anything. Because you are so united to Christ, you possess all good things in him. But he says at the same time, the Christian is the most dutiful servant of all, and we are subject to all people. That is, we are slaves and servants of all people. Well, how does he relate these two? Because we have all good things in the life of the triune God. We are so united to Christ. Now we too, just as Christ descended into the neighbor, now we too in freedom are to descend into the neighbor. Right? This is, this is the kind of shape of the Christian life. Is that... How, is that making sense? Um, uh, any any thoughts before I... I want to read a verse from the Old Testament. Uh, because justice... Um, the Old Testament is so concerned with justice. When God sends prophets against Israel, notice what half the time the sins are. That they have uh, not treated the marginalized well. Um, and I think uh, the New Testament picks up on this just as much. James, um, Paul says at the end of, uh, in Acts to the Ephesian elders, uh, uh, the elders of uh, the Ephesian church, um, to, to serve the poor, right? That's his last words. What does this mean? What does it mean to bear witness to God's gospel? It means to actually serve the neighbor. But it, I... But it's bearing witness to something else. This is not one more human possibility. It's that we are that new community that gathers around God's coming new world. Um, so, any thoughts before I read from the Old Testament? It's sort of, I can think of it like asking myself, like, which one's coming first in my mind. You know, if it's, right. if it's my list of things to do to attract people to the church and to go out and do good Right. Then, you know, God, I say, use me, Lord. What would you have me do? And then he tells, you know, so, so God is all in that, you know, and I'm still going out and doing work. I'm still hopefully attractive right. you know, to others. Um, but it's God's attractiveness, not my own. Right. Know, God's list, not my own. Right. And I kind of think of, of it that way. You know, it's yeah. totally discounting the good stuff to be done, but it's saying, you know, did I come up with the list to be done? Did I take right. it all on my shoulders? Or did I open myself up to the Lord, you know, knowing that I'm his and part of him to go out and do his work and his list? Yes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Me. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think, I mean, you know, we don't do good works to be saved, but when we are saved, we do good works. Right. 
you know, someone once said, you know, Christ is your big brother. You want to do everything that your big brother does. You want to follow him around and be just like him. So that's where the good works come from as opposed to the salvation part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as we don't make Jesus into just another example for us to like shore up our own human possibilities, which is why wanting to play the video and use this moralistic therapeutic deism, we're not autonomous individuals. That is actually the sinful position to even begin to think of ourselves as isolated, autonomous individuals apart from God. And that's why I quoted this. We are created to be righteous, that is, to form one community with each other and with the persons of the triune God. That is salvation, according to the Christian narrative, right? One community. And we are that new community, the foretaste of that coming new world, the church. Um, thank you. So I just wanted to read these few verses from, I could, I could go to the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, powerful, um, James... Um, but I wanted to, uh, just quote just at random. And I hope this invites you to say tonight, I want to go read Jeremiah and just kind of see what's, what's there. Jeremiah 22, three. So the Lord says to them, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow. Right. So so notice we tend to think of righteousness and justice, especially in maybe more evangelical circles. But generally we hear righteousness and justice and we can think of moralistic uh, individual kind of things. But notice what the life of the the Christian, we could say, is right. It's about the neighbor. Do justice and righteousness deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Um, I'm going to stop there. We're one minute over. I wanted to read Jeremiah 29. If I can recommend a good book, I think it's accessible. I think Tim Keller's Generous Justice, Tim Keller's Generous Justice is a really good book on this. And I now feel like I need to take a whole month of Sunday school classes to talk about what I, um, well, thanks guys for listening. I hope this kind of gives you a general sketch, um, and more is to come. So, all right. Well, thank you very much.